Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you. Oh, it's wonderful. Wow. I am amazed. I am amazed at the Lord because he's easy to be amazed at, but I'm amazed at him today. Um, When I was asked to teach, I knew immediately what to teach on. Guess what we're teaching on, of course? Who could have known about precious Stephen? You know. Who could have known? But the Lord has us t- me teaching today out of Philippians. <laughs> what in the world? I'm just going to start reading. In Philippians 1, 3, 6, the Bible says, Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I'm so pleased that you continued on in this, us believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it right up to the present. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God, who started this great work in you, would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day of Christ Jesus. So God's greatest desire, his heart of hearts, his favorite happy thought, his his drive is that he be able to bring all of us to a flourishing finish. He's the one that prophesies the the flourishing finishes. He's the one that says, hey, you know what I'd like to do in your marriage? I'd like to end divorce for all of eternity in this life and the next. And And how about if no one ever gets divorced again because of what I'm doing through your marriage? And we all go, yes, the flourishing finish. Yes, Lord. But but we don't sleep in the same room because we're mad at each other. So help me. Like A to B is what do we do? And the Lord prophesies flourishing finish. Yes, you. You through you is going to come two million billion hundred thousand and eight dollars. To the body of Christ, no one will ever be poor again. You're going to end poverty. And we all go, yes, what a flourishing finish. I love that flourishing finish. But I've been driving around on glory gas for two weeks because I can't put real gas in my tank. So help me understand how we are getting to that flourishing finish. We love flourishing finishes, and we do well loving flourishing finishes. We do well celebrating flourishing finishes, and we should. But I felt like today, it was just so beautiful in the circumstance that the Holy Spirit said, would you spend time, though, on this part of this verse that we love? Would you draw attention to? Would you bring value to God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to. He cares about every single step of our process. 
He cares about every single step of our journey. There's not one part of it that's more important than the other. There's not one part that's, the flourishing finish is wonderful. We love it, but the hundred steps that go to that flourishing finish are wildly valuable to your father. He wants to bring you, he wants to bring me to a flourishing finish today in the situation that I'm in right now. He wants to speak to us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to sit and cry with us. He wants to celebrate with us and cause us to flourish today. And then we'll get up and we'll walk forward and he'll cause us to flourish there. Then we take another step forward and he causes us to flourish there. Oh, this one's tough. We might stay here for a little bit. Absolutely. Let's just sit then. I'm going to sing over you. I'm going to adore you. You're going to adore me, and you're going to flourish in this step. Oh, great, okay. And then on to the next step. So we're going to do that today. And I felt like what he wanted to say was, again, that it's wildly valuable to him, and we can see it in him. So we're going to start with uh, my favorite lesson that I've ever known that has opened me up maybe. I mean, it's in the top ten things that have just cracked my life wide open. And it is Jesus, the word made flesh and blood out of John. And it deserves weeks of teaching and and months of teaching and years of teaching and all of our attention. But I'm going to nutshell it just to draw out today how important God thinks the journey is. So God loves journey so much that he did not snap his fingers for his own flourishing finish. He didn't, in the garden, he did not say, oh man, this is a mess. This is gonna take a long time to work out, so bam, never mind, I'm done. He took 4,000 years to bring mankind to a flourishing finish because he's honorable, because he does what he says, because in Proverbs, a good man swears to his own hurt. 4,000 years. He didn't fix it like this because it's that important. So we're going to talk about Jesus, the word made flesh. And again, that's out of John. And, and we love that, that name, and we should love that name. But what was the process of the word being made flesh. What is that process? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the step. We're going to talk about the journey that God took 4,000 years to bring Jesus into the flesh. Okay? So we know what happened in the garden. So God, God makes creation. Creation. He's like, blah, this is going to be awesome. It's just me and Jesus and the Holy Spirit at first. And so I can say, let there be light. And boom, There's light. It's that easy because they all agree with each other all of the time. So when one of them says, let there be light, the other two go, absolutely. And it's just done. It's that easy. (laughs) Let there be light. And so when he says, let there be light, look what's all around us in 2019. Oh, light. He said it thousands of years ago, but once he said it, It is the way that it is forever. There is light. It will not change. He will not go back on his word. When he says, let there be light, there's going to be light. And that's just how he works. That's just who he is. So he creates us. He creates Adam and Eve. And he says, oh, Adam and Eve, this 
It's for you and everybody that comes after you. See this planet, this earth? I made it for you, and I'm going to give you dominion. Now, what dominion is, is God's power that he gives to us, and he says, you can do what you want to with it within these boundaries. Our boundaries is the planet and this creation that we know of. So we say, great, thanks for the dominion. Is that snake talking to me? (laughs) What did he say? It sounds interesting. I think I'll have a conversation. We invite an angel, which is not what God said. He gave dominion to flesh and blood creatures on this planet. You have to have a body. You've got to be a human being to be in dominion over this planet. That's what he said. Lucifer is not that. So God has a problem. God said over here, man has to be in charge of this this planet. I only give mankind dominion. Then he says over here, you have unconditional authority. You can do with it what you want to. Oh, you invited a a devil into it. You invited a, a fallen angel to it. That's not what I said. So at that point, God starts his journey of making this thing right. He tells Adam and Eve, I'll stick with you. This is going to take some time and it's going to take some pain, but I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to bring you a Messiah. And from the get-go, we start having prophecies about Jesus in the garden. The most famous is Eve, your heel will bruise the head. Your Your people coming after you will bruise the head of the serpent. He immediately starts prophesying. He immediately starts talking. Now, man has dominion, and so man has to be in charge. God limited himself in that. Does that make sense? God is a spirit. God doesn't have a body. So down here, he gave that dominion to human beings. So at that point, he can't say, let there be light. It's not just the three of them. He has to say, let there be light. And it comes in this human brain. Well, I don't know. What's that going to cost me? I'm not sure. Do I even believe that? I mean, I could look like an idiot if I say that. I don't think that I, and here we go. And it may or may not come out of the mouth. So the process at that point changed. He starts working through human beings and not saved human beings like us with a brand new heart, no sins attached to us, sharing a headspace with God, lost human beings. Jesus had not come yet, so he is trying to work through that. But using the same process of creation, the process of creation is you say it. You say it. Words have, they're tangible. If you have the right tools, you can send a word that I'm speaking here to Botswana if you want to. They have substance. God's words have substance. Our words have substance. You can find them. You can turn on a radio. You can hear them. You can put them on a CD and you can send them. They have substance. So he starts speaking to people. He says, hey, and I'm not going to go in order here. He says, hey, Isaiah, say this. Say that the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. Say that. And Isaiah, who lived in a day where you got stoned if you made false prophecies. And that particular prophecy, guys, has happened one time. And is completely insane. (laughs) But Isaiah, faithful Isaiah, full of courage, said it. I've always wondered, 
How many people did he say that to before one stood up and said, I will say it? And then he said, hey, David, say this. The Messiah is going to come, but he's going to be crucified. What? He's going to be what? Nobody was being crucified at that time. But David said it. And when he did, God caught it. Those tangible words, he caught it. He caught Isaiah. He's building. He went through Ezekiel. Ezekiel spoke. He's building. He went through Micah. Hey, Micah, say he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And he gets these words that have substance through his people that have dominion. That now we're the little G's of this planet. He's the big G. He's always the big G. It is crazy to think he is not the big G. But he made us the little G of this planet. So now we're co-creating with God. So he's getting this prophecy, and he's getting this prophecy, and he's getting this prophecy. It takes him 4,000 years. And at the appropriate time, he sends Gabriel to a virgin, a virgin named Mary, with good news. Hey, Mary, guess what? The Messiah is coming through you. And she says, oh, let it be according to your word. But how? I've never slept with anybody. And he says, well... The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. She's like, great. <laughs> Sounds good to me. There's just no way she could have possibly understood what is happening. But God, with all of his 4,000 years, over 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, 300. The possibilities of one person fulfilling 300 prophecies is literally impossible. It's like, it's like 10 to the 17th power of zeros. But Jesus did it. So God took all of those words, and when the time was right, he put those words, the word of God, through man in Mary's womb, in her physical womb. She was a human being. She contributed the egg, the physical egg. God is a spirit. He contributed prophecies. He contributed truth. He contributed son of God that went into that egg and bam, we have Jesus. The word God spoke through little G's down here on this planet made into flesh the egg. Jesus literally is the word made flesh. That's our Jesus. Guys, that's the journey. Isn't that more than saying, yay, Jesus, the word made flesh. With zero understanding. God had such value for that that he took 4,000 years to walk through that journey. And every single prophecy was wildly needed and wildly important. Not one of those could have gone just missing and not, we, and not had Jesus. God cares about the journey so much, he was faithful to it. He was faithful to his own word. He cares about every single step. He wants to cause us to flourish in every single step. And yes, there is a great flourishing finish, Jesus in the flesh, absolutely. But the 4,000 years preceding him were equally as important. So exactly around that time, and I love my favorite account is in Luke. 
exactly around that time um, is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, six months ahead of him. John the Baptist is an interesting, amazing character in the Bible. He's six months ahead of Jesus. He had the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he exited the womb. His mother actually had it first, which again, you read this in Luke. You won't believe me, but it is what it says. It says, Elizabeth got the baptism of the Holy Spirit before the baptism of the Holy Spirit was possible because Jesus had not lived and died and raised and issued in the Holy Spirit, but still it happened. Elizabeth and then John and then Zechariah got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they're filled with the Spirit in this interim from Old Testament to New Testament. It is a mystery to me. It's a full-blown mystery. But John was special. The disciples came to Jesus in Matthew 11 asking questions about John because he was such, a, such an enigma. And Jesus said this about him. He said, oh, John, he's fulfilling that prophecy from uh, Malachi. Um, well, first, he said this. Let me do this first. He told the disciples, he said, no one has ever been born of a woman that is greater than John the Baptist up until now. So he excluded himself. But he said, John the Baptist all the way back to Eden? Oh, yeah. John the Baptist is the greatest one ever created. Have you guys ever thought about that? Jesus told his disciples, oh, John the Baptist? Yeah, he's greater than King David. Absolutely. Why? Why was John the Baptist greater than Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt and parted the... I mean, it, you know, and the plagues, and I mean, it was greater than Elijah, greater than Abraham, Father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of them. John the Baptist is greater than all of the Old Testament saints. Why in the world is John the Baptist the greatest of all the Old Testament saints? you got to ask. And the disciples were asking. They're like, what? And Jesus refers them to a prophecy of John the Baptist in Malachi. And I'm going to read this verbatim because, again, you, you won't believe it unless we read it. So in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, and again, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 11, he goes, oh, that Malachi prophecy about Elijah, that's actually John the Baptist. He came in the spirit of Elijah, but it's John. So this prophecy is about Elijah, but Jesus clears it up and goes, oh, yeah, that's talking about John. He came in the spirit of Elijah. Listen to this. But also, look ahead. I'm sending Elijah the prophet to clear the way for the big day of God, the decisive judgment day. He will convince parents to look after their children and children to look up to their parents. If they refuse, I'll come and put the land under a curse. So what this says is that if John the Baptist fails at his job, there was an option to the flourishing finish, the beautiful finish, the amazing Jesus that we know. Whoa. There was the option for a curse. <laughs> is anybody breathing still? <laughs> Guys, this is breathtaking. So we got to ask ourselves, okay, well, let's look at this John. What's the big deal about John? John had one job. One job. One job. His whole life was for one job. Guess what it was? Preparation. John's job was to prepare. Preparation was so important that had John not done his job successfully, we could have missed Jesus. 
Now, what I think that means is John did a great job. He came saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he, so many people were ready to hear from Jesus by the time that John the Baptist got beheaded that they did hear from him. He prepared the way. The father's hearts turned to the children. The children's hearts turned to the father. Their hearts were prepared to hear Jesus' message. Had he not been successful in preparation, Jesus' message could have been completely rejected. Now, it was partially rejected by the people at the end that actually had the uh, authority to crucify him. But overall, he was wildly adored. He couldn't even go anywhere without crowds thronging him, is what the scripture says over and over and over. That was because John the Baptist had prepared so well. Their hearts were prepared to hear the kingdom of God. Whoa, guys, we don't understand it in 2019, but can you imagine being an Old Testament person? Again, no new heart yet, no new mind, no Holy Spirit on the inside, and trying to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God? That preparation that John the Baptist did was wildly invaluable. He is a picture of preparation. And in our lives... If we don't have the proper value for every single step, the preparing for the flourishing finish, we could actually miss Jesus. It's an option. <laughs> I hope I'm saying this with enough. <laughs> every single step is so important. Every single situation is an opportunity to be completely transformed in our thinking. Every single failure, whatever that is, is an opportunity to learn how the kingdom does it. Every single good thing that we perceive as good, everything or bad thing that we perceive as bad, whatever it is, is a space that we can become like Jesus, the big flourishing finish. Preparation is important. The journey is important. It's important to learn to let the kingdom come at every single step. Very important. And of course, then we just walk straight into this flourishing, dynamic finish where poverty is solved and nobody gets divorced. For sure. But there are steps to it, and the steps are wildly important. You can't skip them. You can't take one without taking the next. It's important to stop, and honestly, the thing that will cause us to be renewed at every single step is just so basic, I think that we miss it, but it's just basically here, Father, love me here. My natural inclination is to fully reject you because this is so gross, and the Lord goes, yeah, I know, let me adore you there, I'll turn it around. I'll fill it in. I'll make that dry place a complete and total garden. You wait. That thing's going to look like Eden by the time you and I are finished with it. You can do this at every single step. So in the summer of um, 2018, yeah, the summer of 2018, the Lord started stirring up all these promises that he had been making to Kevin and I uh, since we were little, separately. And then when we got together, it was on. It was like, what? You have all the same promises? This is going to be awesome. Very similar promises over our life. 
they, they pick up, and boy, the prophecy starts to fly. I mean, it's just gorgeous, very, very obvious what the Lord wants to do in our life. And um, that was in 1997. Now, in 1997 to 2019, we've seen some fulfilled promises. We've seen some flourishing finishes. We've seen a flourishing finish here. We've seen a flourishing finish here. Um, but it's still, you know, we're not seeing it to the degree that the Lord said that we were going to see it. So we're just walking. And in 2018, summer 2018, he just starts to stir in both of us, stirring these promises, stirring them up. And man, we're just like, oh, here we go again. It's a little painful, but it's very exciting. We're up again. You know, here we go. And per usual, um, all of the outside prophecy starts to line up with that. Even Michael Maiden came and verbatim said some things to us that we were like, wow, that is shocking. And he even gave it a date. And then another prophet, which is a big deal, um, he even gave it a date. And uh, another prophet came who we fully and totally trust to, to the school, said the same thing and gave it the same date. And it was the spring of 2019. We were like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. excitement. So we get to 2019, and it's a little still and a little quiet, and I start getting a little nervous. I'm like, mm, yeah, I, I need to do, I, I've had this wine skin. It's about to bust. I can feel it. My wine skin's about to get stuff all over everybody around me, because it's about to break, and I'm about to get a new wine skin. Here, we're in this again. We're in the process. So the spring of 2019 comes, and Kevin is wrongfully terminated from his job. And we spend five months of 2019 without a primary income. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there was some processing that happened. Y'all, that threw me for a loop. I had weeks, literally, where we agreed. I was like, I think we better keep it between us. I don't have any English words. I don't even know what to say. So, so um, we're in this, and uh, one day I'm at the house early on, and the Lord says, hey, because I'm just wide open saying, oh, Father, <laughs> this is a big one. This feels big. I'm afraid. I'm super afraid. I'm super terrified. I can feel like my doctrine shaking. I'm like, oh, I need... <laughs> And we have to feed people. So that was up there with my doctrine shaking. I'm like, my children got to eat, Lord. And he says to me at the house, hey, get down. It was just he, he and me. He says, let's go through your wedding album together. And I was like, oh, that's always a yes. Totally thinking I'm, I'm about to get a little reprieve, you know. So can we put that picture up? And um, this picture is in the very front of my album at all time. It is my favorite picture. It's not a professional picture. We had a professional photographer, and the photography is gorgeous. It's professional photography. But this was a picture. I don't know who took it, actually. We handed out, in the 90s, kids, we handed out. <laughs> we handed out those little disposable cameras that people could either take or you got them developed. 
Somebody had it developed, and they were taking pictures in the sanctuary, which they weren't supposed to be. That was against the rules then. But anyway, it's always been my favorite picture. And again, I don't know who even took this or who gave it to us. But it is in the front of my album because of the moment that it caught. So this is in the processional. So you start at the back of the sanctuary with your father, and you, you start the process down the aisle. So I'm on my father's arm, and my dad weeps through the whole process, through the in processional, and he says over and over, I love you, sis. We had all sisters, and he all called me sis. I love you, sis. I'm so proud of you, sis. You've done so well. You're so beautiful, girl. I love you. And he just says it the entire walk down the aisle over and over. And in this moment and in this encounter, I see it in my brain. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a CD that's on repeat. And I hear it, though, in this encounter at the house. I hear it, and I hear the voice of the Father. You've done good, girl. You're doing good. Good job, sis. You've done so well. You're so beautiful, girl. I love you, sis. And I realized for the first time, it's just in my software. It's in my fearfully and wonderfully made, just running all the time. But it was a voice of the Father. And I was like, Lord, you were there at the very beginning. You, you, you were there. I hear your voice. And we come to, again, this was the most precious moment. This man right here that you see his hands up, that big man, he is Marion Warren. That is my father's best friend. Um, he played ball at North Texas. He and daddy were friends in the BSU, Baptist Student Union. And he was a traveling vocal evangelist. It's exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> he was a big, funny happy man that sang like this in a deep baritone with that vibrato that it feels like somebody's just going, dah, 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 you know, and oh, I love him. I loved him always. I love him now. And Mr. Warren turned around and with his big man hands starts this slow clap. He just starts to clap like this. And this sanctuary held 3,000 people, and the top is gone from this photo, but his clap just starts to echo. Nobody else claps. Nobody was clapping except for Mr. Warren. <laughs> and he's just this slow clap, and it's echoing. And all of a sudden, in this encounter, I saw the Holy Spirit, and I was like, you are there. You're in the process, fully celebrating clapping when nobody else is clapping. You're the only one clapping, but it's filling the room. I see you. You were there. You were there from the get-go. You're bringing me to a flourishing finish. I'm in process. Oh, I'm in process. I can do well here. And all of a sudden, it started to, this courage, it felt like a billowing storm cloud. This courage started coming up out of me, and I heard, girl, you're doing good. You're doing good, and this applause. You're going to get this. You're bigger than this. God is bigger than this. God in you and big. You can do this. Now, what you can't see is the end of the aisle. I came and I turned the corner here to my groom, my flourishing finish. 
in this picture, the type and shadow of Jesus. And I thought, how appropriate that I can't see my flourishing finish. I walked in a doolin. I went to him. I became a doolin coons. I was transformed, and I left different than I came in. But I can't see him in this picture yet. And I pull him up in my, it's one of my favorite memories. Kevin was weeping too. All my men were weeping. I was the only one not weeping. <laughs> he was weeping and saying wonderful things. It's, it's playing over here. My dad's over here and Kevin's over here. Just playing. You're just beautiful. And... But it's a processional. And is there any step of it that is more valuable than the last? This memory is forever in my mind. This, this memory, that voice has been playing over, pulling me through hard times this entire time. This is precious. On a father's arm being celebrated by the Holy Spirit, a best friend is precious. And yes, we get to the flourishing finish, our Jesus. Absolutely. There's a gorgeous, valuable, important process to the fulfilled promises of God. And there's the potential that we love. We, we learn to love every single step. It's the potential. Now, we're going to miss it, and that's okay. We miss it, and we get up, and we go at it again. Then we miss it again, and we get up, and we go at it again, and that's okay. The Lord will stay at a step with us for as long until, until we're feeling like Jesus, until the kingdom is manifesting, until there's transformed minds. It's like, great, I'll stay here with you. I'll love you here. I'll adore you here. I will pour into you here. You will. You will get past this. You will do well. You will learn. You will be transformed. You will be changed, and you will take steps forward. You are not smaller than this. And in this, this encounter, all of a sudden, all this, like, victim mentality, I could see it in my mind, this, this pow I'm powerless, victim mentality started coming up, and I, I could see it in that encounter. And, man, I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to stand in the middle of that thing. It's a valley of the shadow of death. We have them. But I'm not going to be afraid because I am not by myself. This valley of shadow that I'm standing in, this is where Jesus anoints my head with oil. This is where he causes my cup to overflow. I will do well. I will overcome this. I am more than an overcomer. I'm not just an overcomer. I'm more than an overcomer. I'm loved. I'm adored by the Most High God. We're going to do this. It was the flourishing finish of that step. And, you know, even five months, five months without a, without a primary income, do you know, we did not move backwards financially. We didn't move forwards either, but, but very much thankful, you know, thank you to our family that helped when we needed help, to our family here that needed help. There were lots of people that didn't know. They were like, oh, I have this word. I feel like I'm supposed to give you $8 million, but it doesn't, y'all are fine, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we ain't had a job in four months. How fine would you be? <laughs> hand me that cash, hand me that cash. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I said, thanks, you hear the Lord appropriately. <laughs> but we didn't miss a bill. We weren't 15 minutes late on anything. It was a miracle. So we came out of a very hard time saying, 
Oh, man. We're bigger than that. And, boy, the Lord sharpened iron, just sharpened iron. But you know what? We're called. We're going to be about our Father's business. There's a purpose here, and we need to get serious about this and quit wasting so much time. And all this fat got trimmed off of us in that hard time. So while this is going on, there is a song that I have loved since I have loved. As long as I've been loving, I love this song. <laughs> and it's a famous song. You guys have heard it. It's a Bach piece. It's Yesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. And you hear it at weddings very often. You hear it at Christmas very often. And it's that beautiful, consistent rhythm of a song that goes, na, 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 and that melody takes you through the entire piece of music. Now, it starts bright in major tones. Beautiful. <laughs> Glorious. They're doing this in heaven, major tones. Then it hits these minor tones that are dark and difficult. But it's the same melody. And then we exit these dark tones, these minor tones, and we, we get to this flourishing finish where the entire symphony ends with that same melody. This powerful, everything is cooperating, flourishing finish of this song. And it's easy to recognize in a song, it fits together. There's not one part that's more beautiful than the other. It all goes together. So in the summer, it's all that I listen to. And I got it back out these last three weeks and have just been listening to it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, let me... You listen. You sit there. You drink this in. And I'm just going to recalibrate. We're going to get a beautiful rhythm of grace going here. Just this powerful, consistent, beautiful rhythm of grace. And um, wildly, not ironically, nothing ever is. I looked up the meaning, what was going on with Johann Sebastian Bach when he wrote this. Guess what it's about? I truly did not know this. Guess what he's writing about? It's out of the Gospel of Luke about Mary and Elizabeth's divine pregnancies. And how, I'm going to read this just directly. God's subversion of the world order through the birth of Christ, the wondrous hand of the exalted Almighty is active in the mysteries of the earth. <laughs> so he wrote it. He was a praise and worship leader. So he wrote this for his Sunday morning service. And... He wrote it celebrating that in the ups and the downs that we have this consistent, beautiful melody, this beautiful rhythm of grace that carries us through and makes all things beautiful, makes all things possible. I just can't. I don't even know what to do except for we're going to listen to the song. And... And I want to invite you guys into this encounter of Jesus waste nothing. Yes, we are on our way somewhere, but where we are today, he wants to make beautiful. He wants to bring us to a flourishing finish today right now. Yes, on to the next flourishing finish. Absolutely. Someday to the big flourishing finish. But then guess what? It starts over again. The promises get bigger. The prophecy gets wilder. And we're just always in this beautiful rhythm of grace.
Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.